this episode is sponsored by Randstad Education. Hello and welcome to the Education Conversation podcast, brought to you by the Teaching Awards Trust. This podcast explores the first-hand experiences and teaching insights of past Pearson National Teaching Award winners and leaders in education. For today's episode, we're joined by Naomi Ward, Coach and Facilitator at Education Connected, and Andy Meller, National Wellbeing Director for the School's Advisory Service. They're going to be talking about how reconnecting with your purpose as a teacher can really make a positive impact on your well-being and job satisfaction. I know lots of teachers struggle with busy workloads and stress, so I'm sure it'll be a really relatable chat for some, if not all of you. So over to Naomi and Andy. Hello, my name is Naomi Ward and I'm delighted to be here. I'm a coach and facilitator and I work with um, educators and my work is based on connecting educators back to their sense of core purpose because I recognise that a lot of teachers were facing a lot of purpose, um, the purpose that drew them to the profession in the first place. So I was an English and media teacher for 15 years um, in South London schools and I'm also a coach for the wonderful MTPT project which supports teacher parents. Um, I'm a mental health first aider and I'm also a mentor at my local youth club. I've edited two books about uh, well-being in the education sector and yeah today we're going to be exploring this question of purpose and the relationship between purpose and educators um, and I'm having a conversation with Andy over to you. Hi thank you Naomi I'm, I'm Andy Meller I'm the National Wellbeing Director for Schools Advisory Service um, I, I also work for the Carnegie Centre of Excellence for Mental Health in Schools and that's all on the back of 17 years as a head teacher in a primary school in Blackpool and actually 25 years on the file coast in, in schools and 30 years in the professional all told. So um, I'm really looking forward to the conversation this afternoon. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm really struck, Naomi, by your, your passion for the profession and, and the well-being of those people who are working in the profession. How, how did all of that begin? Yes, where did it all begin? Well, I think right from the beginning of my career, I just think teachers are incredible people and I think back to my mentors and that kind of unconditional support that we gave each other and I really value and still value those relationships and I think over the years um, well anyone working in education you know even before the pandemic we know that the workload is you know there's a lot of work to do and I was one of those teachers that gave it everything and I took great pride in my practice. And then when I had young children, I found it impossible to keep up that standard of work. And so over time, I guess I reached burnout myself. And when you reach that stage, you really start to question your ability. And I guess at that point, what I needed someone to say to me was, you know, you're doing fine. <laughs> you are a talented teacher. You have all these strengths. You have all these skills. And I think that would have got me through. But we weren't having those conversations. And I think back at that time, maybe like six or seven years ago, we weren't having conversations about well-being or mental health. And there was even quite a lot of shame about it. Mm. So 
yeah, I'm very passionate as you are, as so many people are out there um, about really supporting our teachers because without our teachers, we don't have <laughs> an education system. So they really do come first. Uh, so that's a bit of my story. Yeah, no, and, and that, that story really resonates with me. Um, I guess, you know, I, I found myself in a similar position in that I, I was um, habitually, as a school leader, doing between 65 and 70 hours a week. Um, and, and somebody told me, and it came as a bit of a surprise, I was actually only paid for 32 hours a week. And, and you know, you do so much of that extra work because you want to make a difference for the young people you're working with and you want to be you want to allow them to be the very best version of themselves that they possibly can be and you know I think it was back in my my early days as on teaching practice that one of the the teachers who I was working with who really had quite an impression on me said you know that these children get one chance at this and we really do need to make sure that we give them the very best that we're capable of doing but I think and what that <clears throat> what that's translated into over a period of years is this notion of whatever it takes um, and I think we've got to a stage where you know we we are habitually doing twice the number of hours we're paid to do and I guess for me it was only you know I, I, I stepped out for a year as national president of the NAHT and then went back to school for six months before I, I was approached to do some work with schools advisory service um, and, and the, the work I'm doing with schools advisory service for me has a direct impact on making a difference to people in the profession right now. That's what drove me to, to, to leave really. And, and I found that not only was I making more of a difference to, to people currently in the profession, but my own well-being improved dramatically. You know, I was able to, I, my wife says, I, I've become a different person, you know, and, and I think we, we've, we've got ourselves into a position where the profession really needs to start questioning whether they are the best version of themselves that they can be at the moment, both professionally and personally, and what we can possibly do to to rein back on the number of uh, the number of hours. And I'm I'm really struck by the the figures in the surveys that NEU and NEHT have done, which suggest that as many one in three want to leave the the classroom. Do you do you feel that? some of this is around that sense of purpose and mission and and whether that's been infringed by workload yeah it's a huge question and and just to come back to what you were saying there Andy I'm really intrigued by this by what you said about you became a different person what was it that you had forgotten or lost when you were working those hours 65 to 70 a week um if I'm honest, um, I've got two teenage daughters and I'd almost um, made the decision that my wife's a teacher as well. So, you know, we, we both work long hours, but I would made the decision that I was going to be the breadwinner. Um, I was going to try and provide the finances to support my family as best I could. Um, and, and my wife did more of the sort of caring in terms of, of childcare. And, you know, those are years that potentially I've lost and I can't get back. Um, but in terms of the person I am with my daughters and my wife, I'm, I'm less short um, with them because, you know, the pressure you're under means that there is always something more to do. You know, and um, we, we were away uh, this last week over half term and, you know, I was able to have a half term where I was able to not think about work at all. 
didn't stop me dipping into my emails, but that's because I wanted to do it rather than there was an agenda with a date coming that I had to be ready for. And 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 as we know as teachers, the, the job is never done. Um, and so you're constantly moving from one thing to another. And, and you know, you, you're so busy that you almost resent the people that you're living with for getting in the way of the job. And you know, that's that's not that's not just me and being a wicked person. That's that's the way that I hear teachers and school leaders talk more generally. And and I think that change in personality and having more time for my family, that's something that everybody is entitled to. And I think in many ways we've learned to compromise all of that and live with that compromise. And I don't think we should. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that's that part of the story. And I really recognize that. And what I hear about with teachers and what I think I hear in your story is loss of self. Yeah. You know, we lose that connection to who we are at our core. And what you said earlier around you've got to do everything. The kids have this one opportunity. So if we don't do everything, there's a sense of guilt. Mm. And, you know, we're not good enough. So we start to work more and more and more. So I think you're right. There's a narrative that we've all got caught in, you know, like, like a strong current. Mm. And I think it's time, you know, we climbed out. And, you know, I know that, you know, there is another way. Um, mm. But that's a strong current, isn't it? Um, that we're swimming against. But you know, you asked me the question, you know, does this, these figures you're talking about, what has that got to do with purpose? And, you know, there are so many factors in there, some of which you've touched on, but I guess to come to purpose, and I just want to preface this by saying, you know, I don't work in a school right now, so I don't have first-hand knowledge, but I do work with a lot of teachers. And a few things that come to mind about why people want to leave, from what I hear, and then maybe I'll come to how purpose perhaps draws that together I, th I think people teachers don't feel appreciated um, and I think that starts to eat away at us <laughs> I think teachers are feeling a bit isolated especially over the past year I think teachers have been working harder and harder but it's been less meaningful because we haven't had that contact that connection which is why we become teachers many of us that connection with young people um I think exhaustion you know the teachers who've had to do home learning and work in school and manage their family it's impossible and so perhaps some teachers are feeling like they just can't go on um and this erosion of trust and regard that government have for the teaching profession um it's yeah that's a lot isn't it? And, and I think we need to have so much more reverence for our teachers. Of course, I do. <laughs> um, and then to come to purpose, you know, I define purpose as who we are at our core, combined with the impact that we are called to have, and that we are uniquely placed to have. Okay. And what you talked about there, Andy, is just like, we're so busy, we're thinking all the time, we're on email all the time, there's a deadline. And that sense of busyness is the enemy because actually we need to stop. And I picked up this quote from Lao Tzu, which someone um, shared with me on Friday. And it says, do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving until the right action arises by itself? And I kind of want to change it and say, do you have the time to wait until the mud settles and the water is clear? 
And the answer is in education, no. <laughs> There's no time to stop. Go to the loo, drink a hot cup of tea. <laughs> and I think we need to build in much more time for reflection around what are my strengths? What is my greatness? What are my gifts? What am I uniquely placed to create in a school? What's the magic that only I create? And I think if we ask teachers these questions and then created the conditions for them to do their thing, you know, and you talk about teacher agency, autonomy, purpose, ownership, all of these are huge intrinsic motivators for educators. So what I do in my work is support educators to get absolutely clear on who they are at their core and the impact that they're called to have and uniquely placed to have. And I've just witnessed over and over again, when teachers get clear on that, they become incredibly empowered and clear on what they're gonna say yes to and really clear on what they're gonna say no to. Because there's, there's this kind of limitless yes that I know I was sucked into. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. I'll pick, up, I'll pick that up. Yeah, no problem. And that's not sustainable. So I think we've got to start saying no. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's what comes to mind. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And so much of that resonates personally with me because um, I, I think we've fallen into... Um, a situation where we're increasingly uh, guided by uh, DfE and Ofsted. Um, I think there's there's a there's a, almost an assumption that as long as we're doing what DfE and Ofsted want us to do, then um, we're doing the right thing. And what that does is going back to what you were saying about autonomy and agency. That strips out autonomy and agency, and then you become a, a passive, um, almost a passenger. You know within um, a bus going in a certain direction that somebody else is driving. Um, and actually, one of the things that I feel really quite passionate about is that if I'm going to sit in front of an, an inspection team and argue and justify that my school is going in the right direction, then I have to believe in what I'm doing. And I have to be motivated to believe in what I'm doing. And that, that needs ownership and you need to own the agenda. And what's right for your school won't necessarily be right for the school down the road or the school at the other end of the country. And and I think it's really important that as, as teachers and school leaders, we own school improvement and we own school development in, in the, the case of our individual schools so that we can, we can own this agenda and take it forward. Because I think what you end up with otherwise is a, a diminishing level of motivation because your stake in this moving forward is less and less. And what that does is it seems to reveal, it's almost like the tide going out and it, and it leaves behind on the beach this pile of workload that all of a sudden becomes far more obvious and I think far more demotivating. So I think there comes a point where workload becomes more of an issue when we lose that autonomy and that sense of purpose. Mm. Um, and workload is an issue regardless. But to a certain extent, whilst the tide is in with motivation and autonomy and purpose, then we don't tend to notice it as much, but as soon as that tide goes out and reveals that workload, and I think that's what's potentially leading to a number of people wanting to leave the profession. But there is another way of doing this, uh, and that is to, is to create agency and autonomy. And you've been doing a lot of work with, with, um, with individuals and with schools and with, and, and with groups of professionals. 
Can you just outline some of the sort of success that you've had and the difference that's made? Yeah, certainly. And and just to come to your point there about agency and particularly agency for school leadership, you know, the the pandemic has created some opportunities for schools to step into that because suddenly schools had to respond to a very changing landscape. And while there was, you know, guidance coming through, you know, sporadically and quite unhelpfully, there were teachers and certainly a leader that I'd worked with who said it was very rewarding because they had a situation in their school where they just had to act as a team and they didn't have time to wait and be that passive passenger. They were actually making things happen for their school community. And she said that was very enlivening um, to have that kind of working environment. It felt very kind of refreshing and empowering actually. So I heard this phrase from a school leader a couple of weeks ago, which was leveraging the pandemic. So what is it that the pandemic has revealed that we want to keep? And that feels like a, a very relevant um, aspect, you know, to this conversation and, and for school leadership. But the work that I've done and some of the success that, that that's had then, I mean, I run a course called Purposeful Leadership and we come together as a group and we do this in the UK and I also do it with international schools. And the power of working as a group is that you witness other people <laughs> and you start to see how extraordinary they are. And you also witness that they have the self-doubt and so that's kind of reflected back to you as well, you know, so you realize over time how great you are because people are reflecting back your qualities. Um, and so it really leads to um, an uplift in confidence and energy. And so through this program, we get really clear on what our values are, very clear on the beliefs that hold us back, um, very clear on who we want to serve, what our purpose is, and then what that means for us. You know, it's all very well having a purpose, but then you need to get it into action. Mm. So what are you going to do now? What are you called to create? And through the group dynamic, we lift each other up um, and we hold each other accountable because we, you know, I, you know, I've seen you. I've seen how great you are. I've seen what you are called to do in the world. I've seen the emotion in you um, when you talk about that. So I'm really looking for you to take that first step, that second step. So I can think of some examples. One um, educator who works in Portugal, she um, wanted to create a forest school, but she didn't feel like her leadership would support her. But through connecting with her purpose and how much it meant to her, she is now doing it and it's happening in her school. I think of another teacher I've worked with over a couple of years who's been in the group programs, and she is a very quiet leader, you know, an introverted leader, but she's standing in that leadership and she is um, leading her department with, with a sense of true clarity and vision. And she also really holds her boundaries um, mm. around her own mental health. So what I witness, a few things I witness is that people are much more comfortable with leading through uncertainty when you have a sense of purpose because you can trust where you're coming from. Um, there's more aliveness and joy because you're living in the fullest expression of your gifts, right? Yeah. rather than maybe working at 20 or 30% of your gifts and all the other stuff is, you know, 
this workload washed up on the beach that doesn't really inspire you. Um, we have a greater sense of meaning, greater courage. We find our collaborators, you know. Mm. Um, I'm curious to ask you, Andy, you know, if you think of a leader in the world who has a really clear sense of self and sense of purpose, mm. um, who, who comes to mind? I mean, the, the first one that jumps out at me is Jacinda Ardern in, in, in New Zealand. Um, you know, her sense of purpose, her sense of what matters, her values guide her, her leadership in a way that is so refreshing. And, and, you know, that sense of belief in, in yourself is something we really need to, to build because we have, I think, probably the most gifted teaching profession that we've ever had in this country. I think the people who are in our classrooms and leading our schools are the best that we've ever had. Mm. Um, and yet, you know, if you were to read some of the some of the media ab about, you know, the situation, you'd think it needed, you know, huge intervention and, and it doesn't. Um, you know, one of the things that I was, uh, you know, looking at another leader, one of the things that I was and I've been really struck by is Dame Alison Peacock's leadership through through all of this as well. And the way that she has constantly stepped forward and supported the profession. Um, you know, she's, she's not saying that there aren't problems with the profession. You know, we, we know that there are things for us to work on as a profession. But, but she is constantly there supporting the profession, telling the profession that they are a values-led profession and they are making a significant difference. And, you know, one of the things that, that we've done as, as a company at Schools Advisory Service He's tried to put out there a whole load of support for schools to be able to access, to help them through the pandemic, to help them look at what well-being looks like in their school and how they might build well-being for pupils and for staff. And we've built a national well-being partnership, which you know anybody can access on the SAS website. Um, and, and you go in there, there are about 70 different providers, and all those providers, uh, and Naomi, you're one of them, have signed up to making a difference and want to support the profession in, in the great work that the profession is doing. But it's about coming together to support that rather than necessarily trying to be prescriptive and say you have to teach in this way. Because I think the minute we start talking about teaching in a, in a prescriptive sense, we start losing that motivation that you talked about at the beginning. Yeah, 100%. And, and I love hearing you talking about the teaching profession with such, uh, such pride, you know, because, yeah, I agree, you know, the teachers that I meet and I work with have such gifts. And I, it's very sad, isn't it, when they can't truly express those gifts. And I guess we come full circle, really, to the start of the conversation where it's not, it's not about the, the amount of work that teachers do, it's about the quality that they do and it's about them being the best version of themselves which is about health and well-being as well as the quality of their work that's going to have the best impact on our young people and we know that don't we but there is this question about a system and we need these leaders that that we're talking about who really are able to positively disrupt that within their within their school cultures but yeah, the work you do to bring together those providers so that schools can create their own well-being strategies. I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that, that you are bringing together at the National Wellbeing Partnership. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think for me, 
what you've just talked about is is in schools we've tended to think we need to get from A to B, whereas A is where the children come in and B is the outcomes at the end. And I'm, I'm thinking particularly about primary because that's where I I spent my 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 years in the profession. But we tend to think, you know, it's about what happens between the, the moment they come into school and the moment they leave in year six. But actually, um, constantly flogging the children and ourselves to work harder and faster and to do more hours is actually, the more you do that, has diminishing returns. So what we need to do is almost put a peg in and say, right, let's just stop for a minute doing what we've always done over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And let's go back and let's look at the children and the staff who are in our schools. How can we, how can we address their well-being? And when I talk about well-being, I'm going to use the phrase that you've just used, being the best version of themselves. How can we get them to be the best version of themselves? Because only by being the best version of themselves can they actually produce their best outcomes as teachers and as learners. And what we know is, and the research tells us this, that if we do that, we can improve outcomes by up to 20%. So this notion, which again has been reiterated with the the recovery and the catch-up conversation which has been about well we need to be doing more hours there is there is quite clear evidence that actually it's about quality not quantity and actually the quality of the work we do with our people whether they be learners or teachers in school will actually have far better outcomes at the end of, at the end of that you know that that's something that I feel really quite strongly about and it's and it takes it takes courage for teachers and school leaders to say, and for governing bodies to say, do you know what? We're just gonna we're just gonna stop this for a minute, and we're gonna check that what we've been doing over the last twenty years is having the impact that it should be having. Um, and if it's not, then we need to go back and do something different. We need to go back upstream and change the narrative of the way we work in schools, because we know the research tells us that that produces better outcomes. Have you, have you are you working with any schools who are already doing this? I tend to work with individuals and individual leaders at the moment who then kind of take this influence back into their schools. That's where I am at the moment. And those conversations are certainly happening, but there are many other people and providers that you know and that are on your website, Andy, who are having those conversations and yeah. working with schools. And I encourage people to go and have a look at those um, those providers. But I think what you're saying about governors um, and parents and the whole school community, um, and we're coming back to this idea of, you know, stopping, you know, just pausing and just asking some important questions rather than just continuing in, in this status quo. Yeah, I'm very proud to do the work that I'm doing and to see the educators that I work with going back into their schools and making waves just question sort of some entrenched habits um yeah and i'll continue to do this it's it's my life's work so i'm really committed to uh, to this mission yeah and I, and I think one of the things we we discussed right at the very beginning was the fact that this doesn't just have an impact on people's professional capabilities but also it's really important for their personal relationships and their personal life as well you know that that almost seems to be lost in the, in the rush to try and produce better outcomes. Um, you know, and I think if I had my time again, I would be looking at 
uh, uh, putting a, a pause in, as you say, and going back and creating um, something that, you know, we, we did this at my school um, probably seven years ago, and it took us from quite improvement to outstanding. And we didn't, we didn't look at the data. We didn't look at the, um, the, the, you know, we just knew what we were doing was right for our pupils. And it was very much around giving the pupils and the staff more autonomy, more agency, uh, ownership of teaching and learning. Um, and letting them, empowering them to use their flair. And I, I think, you know, what I learned then, I didn't realize at the time that it was a well-being type curriculum. But if, if I could bottle that, I would have gone back to the beginning of my, my headship and done it in, in the first year of my headship because not only did it make a huge difference to us, and, and obviously it was reflected in the Ofsted outcome, but, but also it's now being done by other schools around the country. Um, and, you know, I'm hearing teachers saying this is the best professional development I've had in 25 years in the profession, because what it's doing is it's giving giving them space to have a conversation about what it is that they came into the profession for. Yeah. Uh, and, and is it about drilling children to cross the line or is there a bigger picture here in terms of developing the whole child and developing the whole child actually produces better outcomes. And we've, maybe we've been working counter to that over the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think, um, you know, when you get to the heart of what matters to people, it's it feels quite archetypal. You know, like there are some core themes that come up. You know, like you say, we are interested in the whole child. We understand the importance of nature. We understand the importance of equality, um, of well-being, of care, of compassion. Um, these are the themes that come out when you really sit with the big questions. And if we could just come from there as a profession and not from this sort of threat state, fear state, mm. um, I, I think school cultures, like you say, would just be um, creating these environments that you're talking about. And, and I think the last thing I'll say is let's amplify those stories. You know, <laughs> there are yeah, stories about schools where, where that, that we've talked about. Let's give more airtime to the stories that are really getting this right, because they're all out there, like your school. Yeah, and, and, and maybe taking it on from here, if there are people listening to this who think, so where do I get started with all of this? You know, either uh, probably paying a visit to the school's advisory we service website and, and looking at the National Wellbeing Partnership page, because... Within there, there is your purposeful leadership site that they can access and they can have that conversation with you. But there are lots of other providers and I'm, I'm more than happy for people to contact me if, if they want me to direct them in terms of, you know, organisations that are doing some of this work. Um, because I think it is time. It's time we've said throughout the pandemic that it's time really just to pause and reflect on what we've been doing over the last 10, 15 years. Is it right for our staff? Is it right for our pupils? And, and the rising numbers of children being referred to CAMS and the percentage of teachers and school leaders who are wanting to leave the profession would suggest that that's not the case. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, Naomi, you'd be only too pleased to, to talk to, to schools who might be interested in, in just taking a bit of a rain check, really, and looking at how they might improve outcomes by doing things slightly differently. Yeah, absolutely. Always open to a conversation. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been an absolute privilege uh, having this conversation with you. I know that we've spoken in the past uh, about all of this, and it is something that, for me, is absolutely integral to schools being fit for 
the next 10, 15, 20 years and, and doing the right things by their staff and their pupils. Um, you know, we're, we're more as a profession than a drilling factory, drilling children to pass tests and, and making our staff go through that. It's, it's about making sure that we, we give our children and the, and the staff in our schools every opportunity to be the best version of themselves that they possibly can be. Education. As the world's leading global recruiter, we work hard to provide high-quality teaching, leadership, support and non-teaching staff to primary, secondary and SEN schools, multi-academy trusts and federations. Our goal is to help unlock a world of exciting career opportunities for our candidates, whilst ensuring our clients have top-class support both inside and outside of the classroom. We are proud of the work teachers and support staff do each day, and by supporting the awards, we are pleased to get a chance to give a more formal thank you to these teachers. We are not just a recruiter, but a career guide and a recruitment partner. To find out more, search Randstad Jobs. A huge thank you to Naomi and Andy for sharing their experiences. There were some really great tips there for taking control of your purpose as a teacher and leader. I'm going to include a link to the school's advisory service website that Andy mentioned in the episode information below. So if you are inspired by their conversation, feel free to have an explore of their whole school wellbeing section. If you'd like to find out more about the Pearson National Teaching Awards, you can visit teachingawards.com. Entries have now closed for the 2021 awards, but you can register your interest on our website and we'll contact you when entries reopen later this year. We also run the Thank a Teacher campaign all year round, a campaign which allows you to send a free thank you e-card to someone working in the school do visit thankateacher.co.uk to find out how to get involved. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media to stay up to date with the work of the Teaching Awards Trust. For Pearson National Teaching Awards on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Teaching Awards. And for Thank a Teacher, it's at UK Thank a Teacher on Twitter and at Thank a Teacher UK on Instagram. A full list of all our social media handles for LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram can be found in the show notes. So do follow us to stay up to date with our work that's all for today we'll be back with more content soon but until then stay safe and keep focusing on your well-being goodbye